Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the leaders here, and I'm really glad to be here this morning. I'm glad that we're able to offer each other peace this morning. We're going to talk about what, what that means. What is it when we say peace be to you? And in a much bigger way, what, what does it mean to be peacemakers? And we are in the Sermon on the Mount, what's commonly called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's the constitution of the church. This is our constitutional document. This is what the king says the kingdom is supposed to look like. And he invites us into this kingdom. And he tells us over and over again, especially in the Beatitudes, this is a good life. That's what the word blessed means. It's this recognition. You're living the good life. And so we are right in the Beatitudes and nearing the end of the Beatitudes and this morning, we're going to be looking at blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, I, I just want to start with just being your friend and pastor for a minute and recognize that even though we've tried to move slowly through the Beatitudes, some of you might be feeling like, I'm still back on the first one, <laughs> right? Uh, transitioning from, these are so huge. Like, there's so many ramifications of each of these beatitudes. And it's hard for me even to transition each week to, okay, we're talking about peacemaking and we were just talking about mercy and we were talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness and having a single-hearted uh, spirit towards, towards God. And like all of those, I feel like I need to sit in for a month or more. And so I just want you to hear today, if that's where you are, if you're still back on one of those other ones, it's okay. And I'm, I'm not telling you not to listen today, but I am inviting you to ask the Spirit to show you how maybe what you hear today will just connect with what the Spirit's already doing in those other things. And you don't have to feel this rush to move from one thing to the next, but just pay attention. What's the Spirit doing with those previous Beatitudes? So I want to introduce the seventh beatitude by talking about a black blues musician named Daryl Davis. Some of you may have heard his story. There's a movie made about him about seven years ago. He was interviewed by NPR and Christianity Today. And 30 years before the movie was produced, Daryl was playing in a blues lounge. And a white man came up to him afterward and said, I, I love the music that you people play. And Daryl received the compliment, recognizing that behind the compliment was something deeper and more critical, but sat with the man and started chatting with him. And over time, the man revealed to Daryl that he was a member of the KKK. And so Daryl, knowing Jesus, he's a Christian, looked at this opportunity and said, what, what can I do with this opportunity? Here's a, here's a member of the KKK who wants to talk to me about my music, but hates just about everything else about me and those who have the same color skin. So he sat with the man, he talked to the man, he befriended the man, and after several months of showing him a lot of kindness and listening to him and helping him undo some of his ideology, this man hung up his hood with the KKK. And Daryl, seeing the effect that his kindness had, decided to make this part of his life, and he started befriending members of the KKK over and over and over again, one at a time. 
and over 200 members of the KKK hung up their hoods. They're hanging in Daryl's closet as a reminder. Hung up their hoods as they sat with Daryl and were reminded that their conceptions and what they, what they thought and had been ingrained in their minds for years wasn't true. But it took the kindness of this man to show them that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And while there's much more work to be done in terms of racial reconciliation than what Daryl did, Daryl's story is a reminder that peacemaking often starts with just the people right in front of you. Who are the people right in front of me? As we've seen over and over again in the Beatitudes, who are the people right in front of me? And for us, it may be people in our city that we start peacemaking with. It may be in our homes with our spouses and our kids, maybe in our MCs, our DNA group, this family, that we say, who, who here, who is right in front of us that I can move towards with the heart of a peacemaker? So what we've discovered so far with these Beatitudes is that these words that are used, like things like mercy and hunger and thirst and righteousness, they just have massive ramifications. Like they carry the weight of the Bible story with them. And the peacemaker, being a peacemaker, there's, there's no exception. And so we're, we're just going to scratch the surface today of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And I'll talk about three things today. First, the challenge of peacemaking. Then the center of peacemaking. And then finally, the call of peacemaking. What does it look like for us to engage in this, and I want to start kind of with the bad news. Like peacemaking is incredibly challenging. It is incredibly difficult. And, and one reason it's challenging is because of the nature of genuine peace. And the, we all probably, who, all of us who've grown up in, in church culture know the word shalom, right? That's the Hebrew word for peace. And the, the New Testament Greek word that Jesus uses is much like that Old Testament word Shalom, and when you, when you look through the Bible and you look at how shalom is translated, I pull it up on my Bible app and there's this pie chart that shows all the ways that it's translated with little slices for each phrase and there's like 300 of them. Like it's such a massive concept in the Old Testament. Let me give you a few. It's translated prosperity, mutual flourishing. So a war was not declared over when people put down their arms, but when they started mutually benefiting one another, when they became friends and helped each other. Completeness, completeness. It's used for like building a wall and you put the last brick in and you say, shalom, it's done. It's used for healing or physical health, safety, sleep. I didn't get a lot of shalom last night. Sleep, satisfaction, healthy relationship, salvation. You put all these together, and at the heart of this word is spiritual, relational, and physical wholeness. Wholeness. This is the kind of peace that Jesus is calling us to make. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just negative peace. It's not ignoring or avoiding tension or conflict. 
It is pursuing wholeness. That is hard work. That is way bigger than simply the absence of conflict. So let me give you a definition of peacemaking. Peacemaking is active participation in God's ministry of restoring people to relational wholeness with him and one another. Active participation in God's ministry of restoring people to relational wholeness with him and one another. And I I hope that definition already gives you a little hope because I intentionally use the word participation in God's ministry. Reconciliation is something God does. Like God is the only one that can bring this kind of true wholeness. And so peacemaking is stepping into that ministry and saying, I want to be a participant in what you're up to, God. But even with that hope, there, is, there are a lot of challenges to peacemaking. There are a lot of challenges. Besides the broadness, or re- really in light of the broadness of this meaning of, of shalom, of wholeness, is the reality that we live in a really broken world. Like bringing wholeness to a world that's broken, that's, you look at this world and we, we all feel it. Shalom is often pictured as this fabric that's woven together as, and sin as something that tears that fabric apart. And it's really hard to sew it back together and it's back to its original state. And the, the, the brokenness in this world is so deep and so pervasive that it makes peacemaking really, really hard. And in walking towards peacemaking is to walk towards sin, it's to walk towards the influence of Satan, it's to walk towards trouble, it's to walk towards trauma. That's how we define brokenness. Remember that? Sin, Satan, trouble, and trauma. And to be a peacemaker is to walk towards that. You ever seen that Discovery uh, show, Dirty Jobs? Well, right up there with the worm dung farmer and the roadkill cleaner and the sewer inspector and the chimney sweeper is peacemaker. It's, it's dirty work. It's saying, there's a mess. I'm, I'm going to move towards it. I'm going to move towards it. Yet, sometimes, and here's another challenge of peacemaking, sometimes despite our best efforts, peacemaking doesn't work or it doesn't seem to work. We try and we try and we try and there are some relationships that aren't reconciled. There's some conflict that can't be resolved, at least in this life. Yet despite its messiness and sometimes the fact that it doesn't work, another challenge is that we forget that conflict is normal in this world. It's normal. When you have broken people who are in relationship with people, it's normal to have conflict. It's normal to have mess. And sometimes, not every time, but sometimes the reason people leave marriages and friendships and churches is because when conflict comes along, they think it's not normal. But conflict is normal. And it's God's way of drawing us together and exposing our hearts so that he can heal us, so that he can make us more like Jesus. Then to add to this challenge, and I promise I'm getting to the good news here eventually. To add to this challenge is that many of us, probably most of us, 
did not learn how to deal with conflict growing up. The church has not been very good at training God's people how to deal with conflict. And most of us had homes that we grew up in and we learned conflict resolution through watching our parents or through watching other people. Sometimes that was a good thing and a lot of times it wasn't a good thing. And so one of the questions you have to ask yourself when you're coming to conflict is, what am I bringing with me? <laughs> what, what about my story, the wounds of my past, am I bringing into this situation? There's a few ways to look at this, but one of the simple paradigms is we respond to conflict in, in one of three ways. We fight, that's arguing, manipulation, badgering, rage. You got that slide, Andre, the one with the three columns? There we go. Or even physical violence. Or, or on the other side, we respond with, with flight. That's avoiding conflict altogether. It's refusing to engage in conflict. It's walking out of the room or the house. It's the silent treatment, being passive aggressive, or making unhealthy accommodations, um, compromising, just so there's artificial harmony. And then in the middle is the, the lesser known cousin of freeze, where we can't do either one in the middle of conflict, where conflict so shocks us that we can't fight or flee. Like you see a bear in the woods and you can't remember, am I supposed to be really big and scared away or am I supposed to run? And you can't remember which one to do and you just sit there and say, I just don't want to die. And sometimes we respond to conflict in that way. Sometimes we do all three. Sometimes we do all three. And all of these are the product of our family of origin, wounds in our past, or sin, or a mix of the two together. So you put all these things in a blender and what you get when you look at peacemaking is God, please help us. That's what we should come away with. God, please help us. Jesus might have just as well said, blessed are those who walk on water, right? But Jesus walked on water and Remember he invited Peter to do the same thing? And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he didn't sink. So I believe Jesus is calling us to something that's impossible so that we will say, Jesus, help. We need you. We cannot do this without you. And so I want us to look next at the center of peacemaking. And Jesus' use of peacemaker here, this word, it's the only time in the New Testament this word is used in its noun form. But it's used one other time in the New Testament in its verb form in Ephesians chapter 2. And no surprise, it's talking about Jesus. We are peacemakers, but Jesus is the peacemaker. How does Jesus make peace? Well, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. It says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, natural-born enemies, he's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. In other words, Jesus kept the law and died for every breaking of the law for those who trust in him. His purpose 
was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's the word, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That should give us a big sigh of relief. God himself knew how big the challenge of peacemaking was, that he didn't just give us a solution, he gave us his son. He gave us himself. And and God loves peace. He's a God of peace. The only time God is a God of war is when he's warring against the things that destroy our peace. And at the cross, God took up arms against our sin and he won. He won. This is the greatest battleground for peace. And on the cross, Jesus was successful. And so certainly one of, one of the activities of a peacemaker is to tell others that Jesus can meet their greatest relational need. That the answer to brokenness and alienation that sin brings is that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus. So we share the gospel with our kids, with our friends, with our neighbors, and that, that's peacemaking. That is peacemaking work to share the gospel of peace. But, but the cross is also the center point for dealing with conflict and tension. It's a place we start. One of the primary goals of peacemaking is to show for the first time or for the hundredth time that the source of our greatest conflict, our greatest tension, our own alienation from God can be resolved through the blood of Jesus. And that if you've trusted Jesus as your redeemer, he's for you. If, if you're one of Jesus' followers, God is not at war with you. Do you believe that today? He is not at war with you anymore. He, he stands as an open-armed father who loves you and says, come here. He wants you to be near him. He's a welcoming, at-peace-with-you parent. And peacemaking reaches its fullest ideal when people are reconciled to each other as they realize they're reconciled to God. So three, three reasons. We've got a lot of subpoints today. Three reasons the cross is so critical to peacemaking. Number one, at the cross we experience God's presence. God's presence. To think of this visually, our goal in peacemaking is not just to resolve the, the false responses or the unhealthy responses, I should say, of fight, freezing, and, and flight, and conflict, and bring two people directly together. Our, our goal in peacemaking is to invite two people to move towards Jesus, to see that they're reconciled to him, and as they move towards Jesus, they suddenly see that they're closer to each other. They suddenly see as they're looking at Jesus that they're also more reconciled to each other. We, we, uh, we quote the passage in Matthew 18. Many of you know it, where two or three are gathered together in my name. And Jesus is not actually talking about a worship service there. If you've used it that way, it's okay. You're forgiven. Keep using it because there's a secondary application there. But the context is when two or three are gathered together to reconcile a relationship, when they're gathered together, Jesus says, I'm in the midst of you. And this, this promise has been such an encouragement to me to be more courageous and moving towards conflict when I need to. 
Jesus doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to stand over here. You guys figure this out. And when you get it all resolved, I'll, I'll come back. No, he's like, I, I'm right here in the middle of, of you. If you want to experience my presence, Jesus is saying, don't come to church. He says that in other places. Don't come to church, start peacemaking. And you'll experience my presence. Because when we move towards the mess, we know that Jesus is right in the middle. Jesus gravitates towards mess. He loves to love on messy people. And so when we move towards mess, we get to experience God's presence. But at the cross, we also experience God's justice. Sin always demands blood. Sin always demands blood. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was this visible reminder that sin is so horrific, sin uh, tore apart peace so severely that it actually demands the sacrifice of an animal for atonement. And the only place where God can say, I am satisfied with payment for sin is at the cross. And this truth is absolutely critical when it comes to peacemaking because almost all peacemaking somewhere along the way involves forgiveness. Whether you're overlooking a very minor offense in love and that can be peacemaking or you're, in, you're waiting on the spirit when you've been offended by someone, someone's sinned against you, you're waiting on the spirit to, to touch them, to speak to them and you're saying, Lord, I'm willing to talk to them if you want me to. Or you, someone has really sinned against you and you have to go to them and say, this is what you did. This is how it hurt me. Or you're working through the long process of reconciliation in a really complicated place. The best, one of the best things that we can do is to make sure that we call sin what it is. We call sin, sin. It's horrific rending of the fabric of shalom and the only remedy, the only way we can have justice is at the cross of Jesus. There is no cheap justice with God. There's no cheap grace with God. And that is one of the most helpful things you can tell someone who's wrestling to forgive is how horrific sin is and then to point to Jesus and say, this is what Jesus had to do for that horrific sin. And forgiveness, restoration of relationship, they often take a lot of time. They take time. Forgiveness is messy. Forgiveness is sometimes complicated. Forgiveness is hard. One of the most freeing things that I heard when I was getting some counseling years ago about how to forgive in a really hard situation, the counselor said, forgiveness is like making a mortgage payment every month. You keep coming back to the cross. You say, Jesus, you died for this. I'm satisfied with you. God, I'm satisfied because you're satisfied with Jesus. And then it comes up again. You make another mortgage payment. It comes up again. And sometimes you make a balloon payment. Sometimes you get this extra dose of grace to really, to really be satisfied with Jesus and to really forgive. But forgiveness is this commitment to keep coming back again and again and say, Jesus, I'm satisfied with what you did on the cross. For those who don't repent of their sin, who don't embrace Jesus justice on the cross, they will face the justice of God someday. And that's what enables us when someone does not repent, enables us to give that over to God and let him deal with it 
We can live in love. We can live without bitterness towards that person. We can be ready to forgive them when they repent. But ultimately, we trust that God will mete out justice in a way that we never could. So the cross is the center. Because of justice and presence, then third, healing. Healing. Uh, Conflict is like holding a razor blade with your bare hand and slicing someone. You get cut too at the same time. There's no winners in conflict. And so what happens in conflict is we not only are sinned against and we not only sin against others and we need forgiveness for those things, we also need healing. And Isaiah 53 puts these two things in beautiful combination with each other. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. There's only one place you can go and receive forgiveness and healing at the same time. And that's the cross. You can go to the cross as a victim who has sinned against other people and receive forgiveness and healing at the same time. And that's, as peacemakers, that is one of the things that we're called to do, to offer people continually the grace and the mercy of healing and justice that is found at the cross. So those two things in mind, the challenge of peacemaking, the center, let's, let's talk about a little bit the call, the call of peacemaking. Paul said that being reconciled, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. He said in Romans 12, as much as possible, live at peace with everyone. In Ephesians 4, he says, make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Now, how to do peacemaking is like there are books and conferences and organizations that God has given to us and there are so many things. So again, I'm just gonna give you the tip of the iceberg, just a few things. And the first one's a zinger, okay? You ready for this one? Number one, prepare beatitudinally. Beatitudinally is not a word, but it should be. Prepare beatitudinally. (laughs) When you think of the heart of a peacemaker, like how do I prepare myself to go into peacemaking? There's just this beautiful thing that Jesus has already done for us in the Beatitudes. Like he, he's a genius because he's Jesus, right? And he, he put the Beatitudes in the order they are for a reason. And when you start thinking about the order of the Beatitudes and how they lead up to this peacemaking, it's just so abundantly clear that the way to, be, to prepare to become a peacemaker is to not forget all the things that Jesus has already said. And the Beatitudes. Let me just review those quickly and see see how they connect. Poor in spirit. Good peacemakers are poor in spirit. They're humble and needy. They they cast the beam out of their own eye before they try to cast the speck out of their brother's eye. They come in to peacemaking saying, I'm in desperate need of grace. I'm a sinner too who needs Jesus. I might be seeing this wrong. I need Jesus to continually move my heart and humble my heart to make me curious. Good peacemakers are are broken over brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn. When we come into a situation where we're dealing with conflict, either with our own relationships or somebody else's that we're helping, we have to remember that we're bringing our stories. Everyone's bringing their story with them. 
that bring in trauma and brokenness and wounds and their own sin, the influence of Satan and this troubling, troubled world into the mix. And so we come in with a broken heart saying, oh, this world is broken and I hate sin and brokenness wherever I see it. Peacemakers don't rush to fix things. They sit and weep first. They don't stand at the edge of the pit and say, hey, come on up. They jump down inside and say, here I am. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me weep with you. Let me help you. Peacemakers are broken over brokenness and they're patient and hopeful. Remember that meaning behind the word meekness where there's a hope in God's story. And so there's a patience not to reach for power and to, to take shortcuts. And peacemaking is, is really hard work. It takes a lot of time sometimes. And so we have to be willing to say, God's at work, even when I'm not. God's writing a story in all these people's lives, in my life, in my spouse's life, in my kid's life, in my friend. God is writing a story. And so I just want to patiently be along for the journey. Good peacemakers long for holiness and wholeness. A longing for, yes, repentance and change of heart, and a longing for healing from wounds. Good peacemakers love those hard to love. They're merciful. They look, at, they look at people who are hard to love and they say, I'm just like you. I need mercy just like you. And they're single-minded. They're pure in heart. We heard that last week. They want one thing. They want people to know God. They want people to experience the presence of Jesus. They don't want people walking away, walking away saying, oh, what a great peacemaker. <laughs> what great methods they have. Oh, they, I got some great answers from this person. No, the, the good peacemaker just longs for people to get closer to Jesus and experience him in new ways and have their hearts healed and their lives changed by Jesus' power. And the more our hearts are transformed by these beatitudes, then the more ready we are to be good peacemakers. So keep going back. Keep going back to what Jesus has said. Secondly, good peacemakers, listen for the heart. Listen for the heart. And I'm just going to pull these next two right from James 4. If you want some easy-to-remember passages on peacemaking, remember the twos and the fours. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4. Philippians 2, Philippians 4. James 2, James 4. Those are all great passages on peacemaking. And James 4... James, James is a pretty, pretty blunt guy. And he says, this is where conflict comes from. Let me tell you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but don't have, you, so you kill. You covet but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get. On your pleasures. See the key word desire, desire, desire. And behind every conflict is desire. The heart wants something. And you'll notice James doesn't say the desires themselves are sinful. It's how we, we fulfill those desires. It's, it's what we do with them. We try we try to obtain our desires by putting pressure on someone else, another person, a human person, to meet those desires and demand that they meet them the way that we want to. And, and you don't have to so see a kill, I think, metaphorically there. 
And then even if we bring, sometimes even if we bring those desires to God, we ask for the wrong, wrong reason. We treat God like a, a vending machine. Or like I heard from someone's testimony this week, I, I just wanted God to give me a pill to fix me. And God said, no, I want to go on a journey with you. And we desire good things like acceptance and comfort and security and our voice to be heard and a sense of purpose and rest. We, we desire very good things, but conflict usually arises when we try to meet those desires in an unhealthy way. We demand that another person meets them. We don't find them met in Jesus first. And so peacemaking begins with asking, what, what do you want? Like it's a really simple but powerful question. When you're in conflict with someone else, <laughs> uh, beautiful irony, this week my wife and I got in a big argument. I was kind of laughing. I was like, ah, tomorrow I'm going to go write a sermon on peacemaking after this argument. And w- when I stopped long enough to ask, what, what is it that I want in this moment? And what am I demanding Amanda give me that I should be actually asking Jesus to give me? Oh, well, it started the, the melting of my heart that I was really asking Amanda to be my savior. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. And so a really good question to ask is what what do we want? And those desires and how we try to meet those desires, again, are influenced by our stories, our family of origin, the wounds and our story. And that's why patience is so important in the middle of conflict as God invites us on this journey. And number three, We listen and then we speak with love and courage. I won't read it, but in James 4, after he talks about the heart of conflict, he says some pretty bold words. He's like, you're committing spiritual adultery. You're murdering people with your words. You're acting as if you're God's enemy. And then he invites them to repent, to wash and purify their hearts, to resist the devil, to submit to God. And he loads them with grace. He mixes these really courageous words with a ton of grace. He says, God's jealous over you. He loves you like a husband. He really wants you just to be with him. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Humble yourselves and he'll lift you up. And so often in peacemaking, we have to be willing to say hard things. We have to be willing to encourage and comfort and sometimes rebuke. But it has to always be mixed with a load of grace. We're inviting people to experience God's forgiveness, God's help, God's power. And we've said this many, many times here. We did especially in the series on on Ephesians that this kind of confrontation does not work well unless it's in an environment of love and joy. If you're in an environment of joy where people know you're glad to be with them, where they know God is glad to be with them, and when you're for them, they know you're for them and that you're committed to them, That is the environment in which this kind of loving confrontation works. And then number four, don't do it alone. And I mean this in two ways. First, we need the Spirit's help. We need Jesus, the peacemaker, to help us. Oftentimes what we're asking for in these complicated conflicts is for Jesus to do a miracle. And we can't change people's hearts. We can't. We can't change our own hearts. And so we we have to ask for help. Lord, please help us. Please do what we can't do. 
And oftentimes Jesus calls us to wait. Oftentimes we have to hope for the future when Jesus reconciles all things. But he calls us to come to him and to ask for help. And we need Jesus, but we also need each other. Peacemaking is a community project. Another, another verse we all know well is bear one another's burdens. And you know what the context of that is? The verse right before it, restore the person who sinned in the spirit of meekness. In other words, when you're engaged in the ministry of peacemaking, you need help. You need others to bear the burden with you. So if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and you, you feel the tension of broken relationships in your life, of conflict that you've tried and tried and tried to resolve and it doesn't seem to be changing, of discouragement, of, of fear to move towards conflict, ask for help. Like if you're... If your life is in conflict, if your marriage is in conflict, if you're in conflict with a, with a friend or someone else in this family, come, come and ask for help. Like the elders and MC leaders, we, we want to help you. We love you. We don't want you to bear the burden of peacemaking alone. And there's, there's sometimes really hard decisions to make. Do you keep moving towards a situation of conflict? Is it time to move out and leave it in Jesus' hands? Really complicated situations that we would love to help you with or find someone, point someone to, to someone who can help you. And so as we, as we move into response, um, we're actually not going to do the whiteboard today. A couple weeks ago, I was praying over this, asking the Spirit, how do we respond to this? Like we, this could be really profitable today, totally. But I, I believe that the Spirit wants us to respond by, by asking for prayer, by making space for people to receive prayer today. And, and this can be in a number of different ways for a number of different reasons. Maybe you do have unreconciled relationships in your life and you need a miracle. <laughs> like you need someone to pray that God will break through and do something amazing. Maybe you are afraid of conflict and you really want courage to move towards it in a healthy way. Maybe you're, you have friends in conflict and you're just really burdened for them. And it's hard for you to, to, to watch and you want, you want prayer for that. Maybe, maybe you realize there's someone you need to go to right now, today, after the gathering, in the gathering, and you need courage to do that. So we're going to make some space, some, some space to do that. We're going to have some couples, four couples in the corner. I've already texted some people and you can trust them with your story. You can ask for prayer, and they're safe people to be with, and they will love you, and they will pray for you. Or you can look around the room and say, oh, that person over there, that I really trust them, or they're, they're in my DNA group, they're in my MC, I'm going to go ask them to pray for me. Or, or maybe there's someone you know is in relational conflict, and you just want to go tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I was thinking about you, I want to pray for you. Is that, is that okay if I pray for you? Or you can just sit and pray quietly where you are, pray for the unreconciled relationships in the room. And I, feel free to move around the room. Like we want to be able to do that during this time. Move around the room, receive prayer. Those of you that are in the corners, if you're sitting there, standing there saying, I need prayer. <laughs> like I want to pray for people, but I need prayer. Like have the freedom to do that. Go to somebody or as someone comes up to you that you trust, ask them for prayer.
So we're, we're going to take 10 to 15 minutes. I'll ask Alex um, to come up, and we're going to pl play some music quietly so that we can also hear conversation and, and pray together. I'll ask those four couples to go to the, the four corners, find an empty corner, and go there. And I'm going to pray for us to, to start, and then I just want you to have a lot of freedom to sit, to walk, to move around, to ask for prayer, to pray for people in the room as the Spirit, the Spirit leads you. So let's pray together.